0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 154 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name is Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al?
1: Um, I'm I'm, I'm okay. You had to (laughs) To think think about about that. that. Oh, I always have to think about it. You know, it's one of those questions because I know that you don't want me to just say, I'm fine, which is the, you know, general response to how are you. Oh, fine, thanks, or busy. Yeah, busy. Um, No, so I know that you need a more considered response than that, so I have to actually think about it. Do you know what I am doing, though, which has been quite an interesting challenge for me over the last few days is I am proofreading a friend's thesis, an academic work. Okay. And I have to tell you that it is totally doing my head in. In what sense? Well, academic speak is just a completely different, you know, world yes. in many ways to to the sort of plain English of my usual life, mm. and um, I, I find it quite frustrating. It's very dense text, really, really dense text, and it's kind of like what I really want to do mm. is is take out. Fifty percent of the words that are used because I yes. feel like they're—it's so repetitious, so repetitious—and yes. um, it's so let's use five words where one word will do. Mm. Um, so yeah, part of, I have to kind of hold myself back from that. I am I am doing a straight proofread, which of course, as we know, is not a copy edit. So mm. all I'm doing is looking for, um, you know, commas hyphens, yeah, you know, etc. Spelling mistakes. Um, you know, where words have been um you know we there's a, a lot of American spelling versus Australian spelling going on. Um mm. so, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be aware of your role as a proofreader and my role as a proofreader is not intrusive. It's yes. essentially just to look at the text as it is and um and make sure but, you know, for clarity purposes I have I've I've got like this never-ending stack of post-it notes. You can imagine me, can't you? I'm loving it. Yeah, right. And um, there's just been a few places where I have had to put a post-it note on saying you're really going to have to clarify this because yes. it's just, I just feel like I'm, you know, drowning in words here and I have no idea what you're saying. So, yeah, wow. it's a kind of, it's an interesting, it's been a really interesting challenge but I can't say I'm loving it.
0: But um, the academic style of writing—do you think that that's going to win them points?
1: Well, I just think it's—it's a—it's like anything. It's like a, there's a set of conventions, mm. um, and this particular—you know—you have to sort of fit the set of conventions to uh, to say that this is a thesis. So, academic speak has kind of developed in and of itself, I think, in many ways. Yes. But if you don't present the work as it's expected, then you know, then they're going. Well, what have we got here? Is this a thesis? If it doesn't, mm. you, you've kind of got a, you know, there's a set of parameters, and I guess you've got to fit within them so that the marking of it mm. can be done as a thesis, as opposed to as I don't know whatever else it might be. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's quite an interesting thing because it is. It's like you know, corporate documents versus magazine features you know they're different styles of writing um and you have to know what you're writing and you have to fit within the parameters of that writing um mm. it's just that as someone who doesn't read a lot of that work of that style of work for me it's quite oh really
0: this is yeah. what we're doing Wow. Well, you know what's interesting is that I, this week, uh, my old boss from 25 years ago Mm. rang me up and said I Surely you didn't
1: have a boss 25 years ago, (laughs) Val. You were only
0: a baby. (laughs) That's right, you know. Um, uh, And he said, oh, I need to book one of my staff into one of your courses. And I said, what's the issue? And uh, he goes, he wanted advice as to which one. And he mm-hmm. wanted to book her into one of the courses at the Australian Writers Centre, and he said, "Oh, you know, she just, just, she just needs to be able to write English." And I went, "What do you mean?" <laughs> oh, <God>. Right. <laughs> He said, uh, and I said, you don't mean English as a second language. That's not the issue, right? And he said, no, 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 no. And uh, he said, you know, just so that she's writing emails and and, and documents that are um, conversational and that don't sound like they're from um, the 1800s. And I just went, let me guess, girls' private school. And he went, oh. yes. And there seems to be this thing I'm noticing these days and I notice because I get applications from people, you know, for Mm -hmm. jobs but um, I have also hired somebody from uh, you know, a girls private school and I've had to really train it out of her and I'm not saying that all girls private schools are like this so don't take this out of context or anything but I'm just noticing more and more that um, applicants and you know, people from certain schools uh, are actually writing as if they're in the 1800s, and that's what he noticed with his um, team member as well. And he said that, yeah, she's just been taught. He, he said she's just been taught this in school, and I just don't know how to stop. When it you from say doing.
1: the 1800s, what do you mean? Like it's just super formal, or? ridiculously
0: formal, so formal it's laughable. Oh, yeah. And I said to one (laughs) girl, I said, why do you write like that? Why is this so, you know, do you talk like that? And she said, no, we're taught in school to write in a formal register. And this is a business document. So I should write in a formal register. (laughs) <laughs> I went, oh, okay. Uh, so yes, I mean, when you're writing regular correspondence to people in the business world, you don't need to sound like you're from the 1800s. You don't have to suddenly write in a formal register. You have to write in a way that communicates things clearly and effectively. Um, so, um, yeah, it's something that I'm just seeing a little bit more of these days. Interesting. A bit, yeah. Which is weird because I mean, I went to a girls' private school, but we weren't taught that way back then. We were taught mm. normal things. Yeah.
1: Mm.
0: Anyway, anyway, let's give a shout out to Marie Moreland, who gave us a review on iTunes, and Marie's called it inspirational and motivating. And she said, "Valerie and Allison, you have changed my world. I listen to your podcast every week, and some days we'll listen to old podcasts just because oh. I need a vowel <laughs> fix. We're like uh, Angelina, vowel. Um, oh no,
1: <laughs> oh no, let's not go there." <laughs>
0: I have learned so much from you about writing. Your hints and tips are great. I love your advice on different software and your great writer interviews. You inspire me to keep going and not to give up on my passion of writing. You never know, one day you could be interviewing me. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you for all you do. Keep up the great work from Marie Morland. Wow. Thank you, Marie. Thanks, Marie. That's, we would that's love to awesome. interview
1: you one day. So, you know,
0: keep, keep going. Us posted. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. If you do have uh, thirty seconds to leave us a review on or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings and it also gives us that little but boost of motivation too and encouragement.
1: Does, it does, to it? keep talking. Like, you know, yes. we need all the motivation we can get to keep talking, don't we, Val? Absolutely. we would just stop if we didn't have that. <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> Immediately.
0: <laughs> now, we want to bring something to everyone's attention and we have to talk about it early in the podcast in this episode because it's time sensitive and trust mm-hmm. us, you will want us – you will want to know about this because okay. it's such a great, great deal. Now, Allison has created the most amazing 30-day bootcamp. And originally it was part of Allison's course Make Time to Write, which is an awesome course and has so many fantastic tips and techniques and really practical strategies on how you can make time to write. But as part of that course, there is the 30-day writing bootcamp which is ideal for um, fiction authors or or authors of memoir as well. And uh, it's a one – why don't you describe what the 30-day boot camp is in the first instance, Al? Uh,
1: So it's a 30-day program. It is designed to get you into a writing habit. It is designed to have you write 10,000 words if you follow the – the, the daily prompts on the thirty-day boot camp. You will have ten thousand words at least by the end of that thirty days. Yep. Um, so the the idea is that you get a um, you get a prompt each day. Um, it will give you a word count for the day, or or you know some other small piece of excitement that will be from me, and um, it will. Basically, as I say, get you writing. The idea is to get you writing at a manageable and sustainable level. And if you mm. follow that thirty-day camp, you will have ten thousand words by the end of it.
0: And it will be ten thousand words of your story, your novel. The prompt that yeah. you're given isn't, you know, go write about fish today. No, no, anything. no,
1: no. It's mm. a word count prompt mostly. So yes. it's um, it's not it's not sort of like me sending you a word and saying, you know, write me a character. Um, because that stuff is fantastic, but that stuff is not building. On your project this is designed to get your project underway or you know the middle of it done or the end of it done or whichever bit of it you're up to um, and the great thing about it is that if you um, once you've done the boot camp you can always just do it again next do month it again. and then wow you have 20,000 words yeah so um, yeah so it's a it's definitely um, it's sort of like it, it's it's like uh, a coach it's like you having me as a coach yeah. Helping you, guiding you through trainer. a 30-day yeah. camp of writing, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And one of the most valuable things is that so many people are reporting back to us that they are writing way more than 10,000 words. So that's really exciting.
1: Well, it is. And I think it comes from the fact that, you know, half the problem that most writers have is starting. And if you start every day because you have the deadline or you have, because this is essentially what I'm giving you, I'm creating mm -hmm. deadlines for you, I'm creating motivation for you. Um, Once you get started, it's amazing what you will actually achieve.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Now, it will go live on the tenth of March. So that's the tenth of March, and that uh, you don't have to start it on the tenth of March. You can just purchase it from the. You will get access from the tenth of March. However, um, you can press the button at any time. So even if you get access at the tenth of March, if you you know overseas at the moment, you're busy, it's okay. You can press the button on your bootcamp when you're ready to go. It's normally $97, but if you buy before the 10th of March, it is an amazing price, which literally will never be repeated. Okay. So that's the important thing. It will sell for $47 before the 10th of March. But after that, it goes back to retail and that's the only window that you can get it at this price. So it's available now for pre-purchase and then you will get access on the 10th of March. And if you want to purchase at that amazing price, it's at creativewritingbootcamp.com. That's creativewritingbootcamp.com. And when you think for forty-seven dollars You get your 10,000 words and you get 30 days of your own personal fitness trainer trainer, but then for no extra cost you can press the button again Mm. and do it all again and you don't have to pay again. You have it, you know, for as long as you want. You can write 100,000 words if you want. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why not? But, yes, so we have to highlight this to you because this is seriously such a good deal and it will literally will never be repeated. So creativewritingbootcamp.com for Alison's fantastic boot camp. So now shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing this week? Let's.
1: What have you got for us?
0: Oh, well, I love this kind of thing because the Oxford
1: Dictionaries
0: online have added new words.
1: <laughs> right. Have you seen
0: them? No, I haven't seen so, them, but I
1: know you're going to share them with me.
0: Oh, this is great because um, there's there's certainly been a rise in this activity in recent years, so they have added this word, clicktivism.
2: Mm.
0: Clicktivism, which yeah. is a pejorative word for armchair activists on social media.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. There's yep. There's also haterade. 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 Yeah, have you heard of that, haterade? No. It's excessive negativity or criticism or resentment. Right. So, yes. And um, <clears throat> uh, also to otherize, as mm. in other and then I-Z-E on the end, otherize, which is to view or treat a person or group of people as intrinsically different from an alien to oneself. Mm. A couple of other good ones. Craptacular. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pretty sure we've used that, Val. <laughs> Do you know what surprised me though? And this yeah. did surprise me a little bit. So they've added herd mentality, yeah. which is the tendency for people's behavioural beliefs to confirm to those of the group to which they belong. But I would not have thought of that as a new as I a new know. phrase. That's you? so weird, right? Yeah. Is- so maybe it's been around for a while, but it's only really come into the four of late or something because it's I mean my mum's been talking about the herd mentality since I was about ten mm. as in as in you know, if Johnny jumped off the harbor Bridge, Allison, would you you know how <laughs> parents do that? Yes, okay. <clears throat> yeah. I heard my husband say that to my son the other day and I was like, oh, we're there. (laughs) We've hit peak parent. We're right there. (laughs) Well,
0: we'll put the link in the show notes as well. But uh, I always find it interesting the words that dictionaries add into their dictionaries because Mm -hmm. obviously language evolves. And uh, and, uh, one final one from the list, which I had never heard of before, probably because I never cook, uh, is – Aquafaba, do you know what that is what no maybe some people might know um it's the water in which chickpeas or other pulses have been cooked which is used as a substitute for egg whites particularly in vegan cooking
1: get out
0: yeah
1: never heard of had no idea that that could even be a thing
0: yeah i would just chuck out the water well, clearly
1: you're not a vegan, so <laughs> you don't because you don't need the egg, that to be their egg whites, do you? No. Wow, amazing. Yes.
0: Anyway, I came across this link on a uh, po- um, a site called The Mission by Larry Kim. And it's called You Only Need 10 Minutes to Be More Creative. And he lists, he's a writer, uh, and one of the things that he says is that creativity is a skill to be learned, practiced, and developed just like any other. So it's kind of a little bit like what you say, don't wait for the muse to come along, assume she's stuck in traffic. Mm. Uh, You actually need to nurture your creativity on a regular basis if you want your creativity to blossom. And he lists a bunch of things like doodle something, create the right environment, um, you know, keep toys on your desk and and stuff like that. But the one that I thought was interesting, which is something that I am doing lately, that he talks about, is sign up for a class in something you've never done before. Right. And – I've, be- I've been really committed this year to nurturing my creativity. Obviously, when it comes to writing, I do a lot of writing and I can be creative in my writing and I know the techniques to nurture my writing creativity. However, there are lots of other activities you can do to nurture your writing creativity as well, and they often have nothing to do with writing. And one of the things that you do, uh, which is – Move. You go for a walk, right? And yes. that often gets the cobwebs uh, yes. disappearing. And you suddenly you've solved what happens to that character if you go for an hour long walk with pup, <laughs> which I think is great. But you know, I'm just so lazy. I don't go for a walk. Uh, so one of the things that I've started doing is classes that I've never done before. And last week I did a crochet class.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, keep going. And, and on, another, on another day, I did a macrame class.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> I just want to say, like, uh, Valerie and I have obviously talked about these things because we do have a life off the podcast. This may surprise everyone, but we do actually mm-hmm. talk to each other when we're not recording ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that fascinated me about this is the change in Valerie's Facebook feed this year. So and it's and it's obviously giving a lot of her friends pause for thought because somebody commented on the macrame post what have you done with the real Valerie? <laughs>
2: because that's
1: kind of what it feels like. It's got We've gone from this, like last year, Val's Facebook feed was full of like, here I am talking to 20,000 people in Singapore and here I am doing this and here I am being amazing in all general ways. And this year it's been like, here's my macrame, here's my crochet, here's my, what else were you doing? You've done some really, oh, painting and. Oh, uh, um, yes,
0: paper it, art. Yeah, weeding. and so
1: I thought maybe you were kind of from my side I was thinking that you were looking for your version of weeding, you know, that sort of mind mm-hmm. not mindful present task, you know, that mindless thing that you can do that will allow mm-hmm. your sort of subconscious to work. But no, you're actually no, looking at different parts creativity. of your creativity.
0: Yes, that's right. Because if I wanted to weed, I've got so many weeds in my garden. You don't understand. I almost took a photo the other day because I don't know which ones are the weeds and which aren't, and I almost took a photo to send to you to say which ones do I pull out. But then I realised I wasn't going to pull them out anyway. So it's but, very yeah, satisfying.
1: <laughs> you should send me the photo so I can at least get you started in the right direction. <laughs> anyway, I'll um, pull up the wrong. Yeah. Thing. So are you what? so let's talk about the impact of this. How are you? Yes. What do you think? Is it like? changing the way you creatively do things
0: I I believe so so it's only been a recent thing in the last couple of months but I guess to give you an example from yesterday I have been mulling over this particular uh, piece of writing that I wasn't quite sure where what was going to happen next kind of thing excuse me and um I uh, got stuck into the piece that I'm weaving and I actually got stuck into it quite a bit yesterday, uh, last night and made a lot of progress. And really after I reached a you know, natural end to that particular section of the weaving, I probably should have gone to bed, but that's when it struck me what I needed to do with that piece of writing, so I then spent the next hour um, <clears throat> writing, and, mm. and it was great because at the end of that hour, it was out, it was done, it was solved. So I can't even explain it, and I really should do more reading and study on it to explain the con- to figure out the connection. But all I can say is from my experience so far, nurturing your creativity in other aspects of writing definitely helps your writing.
1: Mm, See, and and whereas I would say to you from my perspective, that to me, because weaving is one of those repetitive? It. I just. I think it's the repetition of concentrate. It's. I think it's a mindfulness thing. That's on if you're weaving the same thing. On what
0: no. you're doing. That's only if you're weaving the same thing. I'm weaving quite creatively, so I'm using oh, totally sorry. different things. <laughs>
1: right. Sorry. It's like, you might have it's to make like, a picture of your creative okay. glory. It's like, yeah.
0: It's like painting a picture, like, like a landscape or something, but it happens to be weaving. Mm. So you have to, you're constantly, you're literally concentrating concentrating, on what you're doing. It's not like crochet where you, you know, you're kind of crocheting the same thing. (laughs) Mm. But what I was going to ask you was Mm. that if you could do a, so two questions I wanted to ask you. Number one, if you could do um, a class in something, what would you pick?
1: Uh, well, it probably wouldn't be anything artistic, really, because I'm just not, it just kind of bores me, that sort of thing. I would probably do singing or something like that. Oh, I wow. prefer, or dance. I actually, do you know what I would probably do? I would probably, I was thinking about this the other day, I would, would probably look for, I'd go back to ballet or something. Like I did ballet for 10 wow. years when I was a lot younger. Um, and I would probably go back to something like that if I could find a class.
0: Could, have you done those bar classes, you know, those ballet? Well, I just those. don't think we
1: have. You know, you've got to remember that I'm not in, oh, in yeah. a metro, metropolitan centre here. So I just mm. don't know that – I don't think that's even a thing here. I don't mm. know that I could do that here. Yeah, um, so. you kind of got to go with what's available to you. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'll probably end up at boxing or something. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we roll down here. Yeah. yeah no, I would – I think my um, – yeah, it would be – it would be – I think I would need more of a uh, physical outlet necessi- yeah, than necessarily Yeah, which is why you like walking. Or yeah, yeah, that's, pro- that's probably Fair it. Enough. Yeah. All right, let's move but on. Can I just also say yes. that we're going to put the link in the show notes to that, and I think everyone should go and have a look at it just for the unicorn gif at the t- gif gif <laughs> at the top of the uh, post because yes. it's very soothing.
0: That yes, that is yes. the post. You only need ten minutes to be more creative, and of course, yes. you can find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. com yes. Now, the other post that I found useful was called. Um, Five Ideas for Your Daily Writing Journal by Mark Machenko. And it's useful because we're often taught to do morning pages, you know, in the artist's way, to write three pages of whatever, but you're kind of like, well, what do we write about? (laughs) Um, Or we're often taught just to free write in a journal, but sometimes it might be useful to have a little bit more structure. And so free writing is literally writing whatever is on your mind at that moment in time. And if mm. that works for you, that's great. But uh, not, And that d- definitely works when you've got an issue or when you feel you've got a block and you're trying to write through, wondering why I've got this block kind of thing. But if you're pretty laid back and you don't have a blog, it c- can be a struggle to know uh, what to write about, like, oh, I woke up and I'm going to go get a coffee. But another <laughs> thing, if, if, you, if, you, if you find that difficult, one thing that I think is useful that um, this post does is suggest to have some kind of guidance, like three things I learned today. Now, and a great example is Kelly Exeter is doing this, 365 days of things I know, so every day, or things I've learned or something like that, you know, so every day she actually posts something to do with things that she something that she knows. Mm. And she does that publicly. You don't have to do that publicly. But mm. you can write the three things that you learned today or yesterday or three things that you're grateful for or something like that because then at least you get started writing about something, Mm. This yeah, which I think is useful for people when they're A sitting there yeah. with the blank page.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm.
0: Do you what do you, do you find it useful to write through your problems?
1: Uh, well, I, I do in the sense that. You know, I think that sometimes you don't – well, I personally don't always know exactly how I feel about something until I write it down. Yes. And then I can be very, very surprised by what actually comes out when I just sort of let that go and get get some thoughts together on it. Um, I'm not – Um, I don't generally do a lot of free writing. It's not really how I roll. I tend to write mm. about things. Um, mm. You know, it's kind of like I um, – I, I'm doing some sort of bits and pieces at the moment where I'm just pulling out – um pulling out snippets of things that happened when i was younger and like just just mm. met things i can remember because part of it is um my my mother often says to me that she wonders if i had a childhood because i don't remember any of it and clearly i wasn't there even though <laughs> she remembers me being there i remember none of it so she really? um Yeah, well, not really. I I mean, obviously I remember bits and pieces of it, but I I have a sort of – I guess you don't remember – you only remember the big stuff, don't you, as a kid? You only remember the big stuff. And if you've got a life that's fairly kind of, you know, you go to school – your parents are pretty much doing their thing. You've got they're at work. They're still together. You know, there was yeah. I had the worst possible childhood for a writer in many ways because <laughs> it was a really good childhood. So yeah. I don't actually remember a lot of it. You know, Why um. Not? So I have challenged myself a little bit to sort of write things that I remember, and the stuff I remember is all is all the, uh, you know, is is moving schools and and the right. the birthday party where I cried because. I didn't want a birthday party for some reason. I was a strange kid. Um, You know, stuff like that. So, you know, I I do that sort of thing sometimes, but mostly I I tend to – write, work on an idea, uh, you know, I, I've never had a shortage of ideas. Ideas are not yeah, my issue.
0: right. Mm. Um,
1: some of those ideas don't always have legs and sometimes it takes me a long time to work that out. Um, yes. The actual premise, the starting point of an idea has never been my issue. And I think that that is because of my freelance writing training. Yes, I honestly think yes. it's because of features writing and it's that notion of you get very, very used to just, you know, your antenna are out all the time. So yes. you get very, very used to picking up on what's around, even if you don't even realise that you're doing yep, it. totally. So I think that that's, you know, as I say, ideas are never my issue. It's more kind of like following bad ideas a lot, you know, and mm. then realising that I shouldn't have written 20,000 words on that because it's really not going to get me to the end of 70, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: no.
1: I know, but anyway.
0: What a realisation. <laughs> I know, it's bad. It's really bad.
1: Right. And then I start thinking maybe I should become a plotter and a planner at that point and then I oh, don't. Oh, I know.
0: Mm. Um, anyway. Uh, I, so, uh, some authors start off not but then realise with the number of books that they need to write, it's just more efficient for them to try and train themselves to do so because they can't afford to do, they don't have the time to do the 20,000 words.
1: To uh, I think to, you have you know to I mean? learn to be, I think you do, you do do that. You at least learn to think in outlines. You, I, I, yeah. don't, I still don't plot necessarily scene by scene like many writers we know do, but yeah. I do think a lot more in outlines than I used to. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
0: All right, let's move on to our giveaway this week. We have 10 double passes to give away to see David Stratton, A Cinematic Life. Thanks to Transmission Films. Now, this is great if you love movies because, of course, David Stratton is an icon in Australian cinema industry. So it's for lovers of film, this is a compelling personal journey with David Stratton as he relates the fascinating development of Australian cinema. Included are interviews with Australia's movie greats who talk about their work and the films that have most affected them. And it features Nicole Kidman, Russell Crowe, Jeffrey Rush, Jackie Weaver, Rachel Griffiths and many more. The film is released on the 9th of March, but we have 10 double passes to give away, and all you need to do is go to writerscentre.com.au slash win to enter. So that's writerscentre.com.au slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our Stage 2 Creative Writing Course, Advanced Fiction Writing Techniques, will help you apply proven methods to your own writing, taking your storytelling to a whole new level. With workshopping and practical exercises focusing on scene development, characters, climax and resolution, it's your perfect next step. Learn online over a few hours each week. You'll even get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscenter.com.au slash advanced.
1: All right, are you ready for our word of the week? I am so ready. I
0: picked this word because for many years I pronounced it wrong. <laughs> but then, uh, you know, I learned like, mm-hmm. how to pronounce it. But... Uh, Uh, It's come to mind recently because a friend of mine Instagrams every morning where she has her coffee, and this is not sponsored in any way. It's at a place (laughs) called (laughs) Halcyon House, Mm. which is somewhere up the coast of New South Wales. I don't even know where, but it looks very pretty. Mm. But I remember 20 years ago I would have called it something else. <laughs>
1: what would you have called it? Just I don't
0: want to say. So
1: I really want you to say I feel it's important that you share. It's just us here. It's just us <laughs> and our team, our community who are walking their dogs and making fairy floss and doing all the things, going to the gym. We're at the gym. We're baking. Yeah. We're doing all those things. Yeah. Tell us.
0: How did no, you pronounce I'm it? I'm so embarrassed and I'm certainly got to tell you, not going to tell you how I used to pronounce um, A-W-R-Y.
1: How did you used to pronounce no, that? Not totally Was that Ori? I used to. <laughs> was that Ori? Did you say Ori? Because
0: <laughs> when you I was little, you? I used to read a lot of Enid Blyton books and all their plans always went awry, right? But I didn't yeah. know it was awry.
1: Yeah. You thought it was Ori. Yeah. But was it, so was it how, Halcyon, how. I'm not
0: going to say. Oh, so. Val.
1: Okay, we need to start a tweet campaign here, <laughs> people. We need a hashtag. We need a clicktivism hashtag. <laughs> hashtag.
0: Anyway, Halcyon, it's one of the wo- those words that many people find hard to pronounce, I do think, uh, or they're not sure. Um, but once you master it, you can use it freely to mean peaceful, gentle, or carefree. And that's why, obviously, if you're going to call something Halcyon House, it does uh, evoke. The idea of being peaceful and gentle and carefree. And to use it in a sentence, you might say something like, oh, remember the halcyon days of your childhood when you lived on the farm? Or and my like answer that. would be no. Well, no, you know. maybe didn't live on a farm, but you can talk about the halcyon d- Well, yes. <laughs> and I don't you, you're like Guy Pearce in Memento. You're like the worst <laughs> person ever for this conversation. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, so that's our Word of the Week, Halcyon, and if you're going to use it in one of your blog posts, make sure you ping us and hashtag Word of the Week so that we can see how you used it. Let's move on to our writer-in-residence this week, shall we? Let's. I had a great chat with Hilary Spears who uh, recently wrote when when she wrote her debut novel only a couple of years ago called Hester and Harriet, she mm. was already in her sixties. So it's never too late. Oh, no, to, it's never
1: too
0: late to write to you know release your debut novel. And it it is based uh, Hester and Harriet are a couple of uh, widows and they're such quirky characters and they gained such a fan base that she has written a second book in the Hester and Harriet series which is not a sequel it's a standalone novel as well and it's called Love, Lies and Linguini and we had a chat with Hilary this week. Thanks so much for joining us today Hilary. Oh it's a pleasure to be with you. Now your latest book is Love Lies and Linguini mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a, a great title. Now for those listeners who haven't come across it yet or haven't read it yet, can you tell us what it's about?
2: Okay, well it's it picks up. It's certainly not a sequel, but it follows on to some extent from my first book which was Hester and Harriet. So we're back with the two widowed sisters and they have decided to broaden their horizons and to risk a a trip to Italy. So they had quite an exciting six months and they leave for Italy, but unfortunately there is a a severe coolness is probably the best way to put it between them because Hester is nursing a secret to do with her sister and Harriet is trying to work out what on earth is going wrong in their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, back in England, they have left their house in the care of Daria, who is um, a Belarusian refugee they took in, uh, which happened in the first book. And unfortunately, there is also involved in that story their um, nephew, Ben who is persuaded to do some very naughty things while they're away, which all turns catastrophically wrong. So there's the dual stories running in England and and Italy, and then they come together. But it does definitely shake up the sisters' lives and leads them to question who they are, what they want out of life, and indeed what they're going to do in the future, and will it be together?
0: Yes. Now, Hester and Harriet are much loved and obviously, as you say, this is the second book, although it's not a sequel, it can be read as a standalone. When you Mm -hmm. um, uh, came up with the idea of your first book, if you can just take me back there and how did this idea form? How did you think, oh, I'm going to write about these two widows called Hester and Harriet?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, what what actually happened was they started life in a short story when I was doing my MA in creative writing Mm. and uh, obviously my peer group read it and my uh, friends who were not on the course, but are my reading friends read it and everybody said, Oh, aren't these two lovely characters? Uh, You should do something more with them. And I thought at the time, yes, they are lovely characters. I really enjoyed writing about them, but I really didn't give it much more thought until my very dear writing buddy said to me, Uh, I'm going to set you a challenge that you need to write a book. I said, write a book? I'm in the middle of writing a play at the moment. She said, no, no, I think you should write a book. So I said, but, you know, most of what I've been doing is short stories, and a book is an awfully long thing to do. Mm -hmm. She said, never mind. I know how to get you to do it. I'll set you a challenge. And you give me three chapters a week and get them to me by 6 o'clock on Friday. I'll look at them over the weekend, give you my comments, and you can start again the next week. That was kind of the genesis of it. Uh, That it started as a bit of a challenge, but it didn't actually, quite frankly, take long before I was sucked in and so enjoying it. I thought, why haven't I done this sooner? So I wrote the book um, against this, this artificial deadline. Yes. So
0: when you were writing that book, then because you know you were mm-hmm. just delivering three chapters a week, did you know what was going to happen? Were you were you actually writing um, with an uh, with a novel in mind at the end? So obviously the, uh, those three chapters would stop at some point, <laughs> and <laughs> and did you plan out the story or just kind of just wrote three chapters as you went? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. No. No. I see what you're saying. Um, well. I have to say, I was listening to um, Natasha Lester on your podcast, and she said she's not a great plotter. And I thought, oh, thank God for that, because I am not a great plotter either. I prefer to just see where I'm going to go with it. The weird thing is that when I'm writing, I always know where I'm going to end up. So although I might not know what happens between the beginning and the end, I know where I'm headed so I can head in that general direction, but I quite often will go off on highways and byways and think, oh, I haven't quite intended that, but actually this is an interesting thing to explore, so I'll go and explore that and see if it works. But I do generally, weirdly enough, have my last sentence in my head wow. very early on, and okay. I'm aiming for that all the time.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So you know where you're going. Now, you do. have – you're quite learned. You've, had, you've got degrees in law. And speech yep. therapy, yep.
2: <laughs>
0: as well as, as you said, uh, a master's in creative writing and quite yep. a lot of experience. Now, what? which of these careers <laughs> were you doing <laughs> at the time where you decided to write Hester and Harriet?
2: Well, uh, I, w- I had by that stage given up my full-time job because um, my decision was but if I was going to really try to write, I had to devote my time to it and serve an apprenticeship, if you like. Mm. And the, the genesis of the whole making myself into a writer as opposed to what I was doing, which at that stage was working in um, youth services and for the Department of Health, mm. on adolescent health mainly, um, that the focus was that one of my, well, in fact, two of my dear friends died, but one of them was actually quite a bit younger than I was. And his death prompted me to think, how short life is. And I know that's mm. probably sounds slightly trite and a lot of people say it, but it hit me very hard. And I mm. thought, if I really want to do this, then I've got to give it heart and soul. I can't do it part time. And I know what will happen. I'll get distracted. If I, if I actually give up my full time job and I say to myself, right, serve your apprenticeship, write the rubbish, write better, try each day to get something that's better than the day before, then that's what I wanted to do. And, um, and I gulped and I did it. So that was kind of what I was doing at the time when I started yeah. writing the novel. I was, I was writing full time, if you like.
0: And so did you always want to be a writer from uh, when you were very young or is it something you discovered later?
2: No, no, I always had written. I ri- I wrote mm-hmm. an awful lot when I was much younger. I wrote some appalling poetry, as <laughs> one does, um, <laughs> and I wrote a lot of short stories. And I've always been involved with the theatre, so if um, outside of a, a straight production we're doing some, um, uh, let's say we're doing a, a community entertainment, I would usually be writing stuff for that or writing all the links for it. Right. And in spare time I would be writing short stories, but not... Not for consumption, just for my own satisfaction, as it were. Uh, What what prompted the big, big decision, aside from these two deaths that I mentioned, um, was that I went with a friend, really just for a holiday, but on a writing holiday, and I was hooked. I thought, this is what I want to do.
0: You went on a writing holiday. What does that mean?
2: I went on a holiday, this is going to sound very lovely, and indeed it was, I went on a holiday <laughs> to a Greek island, mm-hmm. <laughs> lots of lovely sun and swimming and all of that sort of thing, but part of it was uh, a creative writing course. So uh, okay. uh, during the mornings we, we had kind of group sessions and we did writing, we shared our, our writing and I made some incredible friends, this was quite some while back actually, about 12 years ago I made some friends and we are still friends and although two of them now live part of the year in New Zealand, we still have a writing group. So we communicate oh, by wow. email and and Skype, yeah.
0: Wow, that's wonderful. So um, you then, when you made that decision, you, the, you had those things occur, especially mm-hmm. the deaths of your friends and you thought, life's too short, I'm going to do this full time and actually give it a go. Yeah. What, at that point, were you, did you think I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to work hard and get this novel published or, or, or what was the goal of just writing full-time at the time?
2: I think when I started, the goal was could I even get myself published? You know, could no. I test myself and see if I could write? And I set myself right at the beginning when I was both writing uh, fiction and plays, I set myself the goal that every fortnight I would send something out somewhere somewhere. Didn't matter what it was, it almost didn't matter where it was going. But I had to send stuff out because I thought to myself, if I'm serious about this, there's no point sitting in my study writing away with all these words on my computer. I've got mm. to be brave enough to send stuff out. And one yeah. of the first things I sent out, one of the first things I sent out was a short story to a local radio station, who at that stage, unfortunately, don't do it anymore. But at that stage, they would um, broadcast some short stories I think no actually it was one short story week on a Sunday night and Mm. I thought well I'll you know dip my toe in the water send it off and it was accepted so Mm. that was the first thing I sent out and it was accepted and I thought at the time I know it's only a local radio station but Mm. somebody thinks my work has got some merit and I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't had I mean obviously like everybody I had masses of rejections, masses of times I've sent work out, I never heard anything. But I don't know what would have happened if that that very first time when it was accepted it hadn't mm. been. I don't know mm. whether I would have thought, I'm kidding myself here, this is ridiculous. You know, whatever made me think I could write. Yeah, right. But I did have in you know, I had enough successes to think, No, keep going, grit your teeth, get on with it and I did.
0: Okay, so then your first novel, your, which started off as the short story and then this, you know, three chapters a week challenge, Hester and oh. Harriet, what age were you when you first started writing that? The novel, I was uh, 61. And so then um, can you tell us about the road to publication? Like yeah, what, what sure. happened? How did it get picked up?
2: Well, I have finished the book and I was uh, still writing quite a long play for um, part of my MA, my dissertation. And uh, my friend, the friend I referred to earlier, the challenging friend, yes. uh, she said to me, give book out there and i said yes yes i will i will she kept nag 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 get it out there get it out there so i said yeah you're absolutely right but i am quite busy no no she said get on with it she doesn't give up easily uh, which is fortunate for me so i i'm i listed um the agents that i wanted to send it to because i knew i wanted a female agent um yeah. I felt that that my writing was not intended to be just for women, clearly, but I did feel that a a female writer would kind of, a female agent would sort of understand where I was coming from. Mm. So I Mm. sent it out because on our course we were advised to not send it out to just one agent because obviously Mm. it takes, generally takes quite a while for them to come back. Mm. So I sent it out to three agents um, by email, also being slightly mean thinking I don't really want to send it to people who require it by mail because then I've got. (laughs) print it and pay for it, Um, I'm being slightly flippant here, and um, to my astonishment, within a couple of days, I'd had a response from one of them asking for the manuscript, so I got thoroughly overexcited, as you can imagine, and um, sent it off to them, and then about a day or two later, got another email from another, another one of these agents asking me for the manuscript, and so I had to contact them and say, well, I've already sent it off to um, another agent because they asked me for it whereupon the agent who is now my agent phoned me up and said, no, 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 don't give them so much time. We want to read it. Phone them up and tell them they can only have however it long it was. And I said, really, you know, can one do this? And she said, yes, of course you can. Of course you can. Um, anyway, I did. And uh, long story short, um, that agent, the one who'd actually phoned me up um, is now my agent. So, it, it just all fell into place. I just mm-hmm. didn't expect it to happen that way. I was expecting to wait months for responses. That's what wow. generally happens. And it must have just struck a chord, which is fantastic for me. Yes,
0: obviously. And so, so you got that agent and presumably uh-huh. they then, they subsequently um, got you the first
2: book deal. Yes, that's right. They, that's so, I'm very lucky actually because my agent I think is one of the very few agents in London who has an in-house editor. Right. So um, you know, I was able to work initially with Stephanie and and do a lot of you know rewrites and just edits and things like that to get it obviously as good as they thought it could be. Mm. Um, and that in itself was a, a really great experience. Um, and then Jane, my agent, um, obviously sent it out and and I was lucky enough to get picked up by Alan and Unwin yeah wonderful
0: now um forgive me for asking these questions about age, but I just think that it's relevant and inspiring So what age were you when the first book was released uh sixty three right which is yeah. which is just fantastic because a lot of people leave things because they think that, you know, oh, I, I I, I should have done it when I was 30 or I should have done it when I was 25 yeah. or, or whatever. But, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it's never too late. Um, all right. So then it was successful, yeah? Hester and uh-huh. Harriet, successful. People love these characters. And at that point, did you already have the second book in your head or oh, did yeah. you just think?
2: <laughs> oh, you did? I had. I had the second book in my head while I was writing the first Okay. because I thought, oh, there's lots more these two ladies can do. I can send them on far more adventures than just one. This will be, a, a, you know, a great sadness to me if I never saw them again. So I already had another, I had the next plot in my head. Um, and indeed, I have got a third in my head as well. Wow. Um, um, I just they They are with me all the time. It sounds ridiculous, but somebody said to me the other day, "Is there a day when you don 't think about them?" And I said, mm. "No, not really, because wherever I am, I see somebody doing something or I hear somebody saying something, and I think, mm. "Oh hester, that would that would really suit Hester that sort of thing, uh-huh. or you, you know just they are just with me all the time, and they are yes. great companions. so I hope to be able to continue having adventures with them for some time to come."
0: Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the adventures that they do have, so this one, love lies and linguini. Um, what kind of research or travel or or um, you know, um, well, research? Yeah, do you have to do for Hester and Harriet's adventures, or did you do for this book anyway?
2: Um, For this one, I I was very fortunate in that um, my husband and I had gone on a painting holiday, not for me, but for my husband, um, in Italy. Uh, And I had such a fantastic time. I mean, I went went along as partner, if you like, uh, having checked it was okay to do that. And I thought how romantic would that be sitting under a loggia or something Mm. writing which is indeed what I did but it also gave Um, me the opportunity each time they went out on a painting trip I would say is there room in the minibus for me and there always was which was lovely and so I saw of the area that we were in I saw quite a bit of the local towns and obviously the scenery and all that sort of thing Mm. so for the Italian bit that was fantastic Mm. because I had all the help there um, the, the other area that has required quite a bit of research has been the issues around immigration mm. and the status mm. of people seeking asylum and that sort of thing because Daria the, the young girl I mentioned mm. earlier she, mm. uh, she, is, she has overstayed her visa, she had a visa but she's overstayed it and the rules I've no idea what it's like in Australia but over here the rules seem to change on almost a weekly basis mm. and when I was mm. writing in fact for both books I really thought I I need specialist help here because I don't want to make an absolute mistake where somebody says, well, that couldn't possibly happen. Uh, And eventually, although I've got various friends, you know, in the professions and and I've got several friends who are lawyers, none of them specialized in immigration law. And I was getting slightly panicky thinking, well, my law degree is decades, (coughs) excuse me, decades out of date, and I have no idea where you'd start this. So I t- simply took a chance and phoned um, a firm in London who specialised in immigration law. And, and as indeed has happened almost every time I have asked someone for help, they were delightful and said, well, we can't do it now, but phone us tomorrow at such and such a time and we can give you 15 minutes, you know, with all your questions, get your questions lined up and just give us a ring. And I did. And they gave me all the answers to the questions and said, don't forget, this could all change next week. But it <laughs> meant that at the time I was writing, I was relatively confident that mm. things were mm. accurate. And so, so that's the kind of research. Mm, yeah, sorry. no, no, go on. Please go on. No, the only other one is you may or may not have noticed that the ladies are, I uh, hesitate to say, prodigious consumers <laughs> of wine, but they do like their wine. <laughs> And um, fortunately for me, uh, so does my husband in the sense uh, that he enjoys wine. I'm sorry, I'm making you sound like an alcoholic. He's not an alcoholic. He enjoys <laughs> his wine and he knows quite a bit about them. I know nothing about them. so all of the information about what they're drinking and why it's so lovely is thanks to him.
0: Oh, wonderful. Um, and you, no doubt you had to partake in many wine tastings just so that you could get, well, get it Well, it right. would
2: be rude not to, I feel. You know, you have to experience <laughs> yes. these things
0: it definitely would be rude not to now when you are writing you know focused on your writing you're actually writing the first draft can you tell me what your typical day is like do you have a routine do you write to a word count target do you have other little deadline things like you did with your three chapters and your challenging friend how how Uh do you actually get the words on the page
2: Okay, so when I gave up my job, I decided this was my job, and mm-hmm. I do like to be at my desk no later than nine in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I generally start the day with having a swim because I find that clears my head. Um, mm. So I go to our local leisure pool, which has uh, swimming for adults in the first thing in the morning, and I have a swim, and that's when I start thinking about things, and that's, which is why I probably swim into a lot of people because I'm not paying attention. <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, and then I get to my desk at nine o'clock and my idea is to write something. I don't generally set myself a target unless I'm doing one of my friend's challenges. But generally, I think, no, today I just want to write something. Now, sometimes I'll set off and I'll, be write- I'll still be writing at lunchtime thinking, oh, this is going really well. Other days I am m- mucking about I'm doing bits of research, justifying those on the ground so that I will need them later because I can't get my head in gear. But what I do do is I write something every single day. So sometimes I can be really productive and other days I'll come away feeling I have cheated myself by not doing what I should have done. So in that sense, I'm fairly disciplined, except that it, particularly if I'm doing research, I do allow myself to get distracted And that is a great fault. And I so admire these people who can switch off the internet and switch off their emails and, you know, just concentrate on the page in front of them. I'm afraid I'm not that disciplined.
0: Now, because you don't, I mean, you know where you're going because you know your last sentence, but you don't Uh plot, as you said. Do you then, how often do you find yourself going down rabbit holes that you can't get out of and then you have to toss 10,000 words or whatever and come back to a certain point and and write that way? And and in related to that, do you write in a linear fashion or do you write scenes and put them together later?
2: I, I tend to write in a linear fashion. Um, not always but sometimes and particularly if, uh, like the book I'm working on at the moment, I've got a particular character that I haven't reached yet, but I keep having thoughts about her, so I've been writing little snatches of dialogue for her and putting those in a separate file because I know I want to come back to them. And um, as for rabbit holes, even if I do go down a rabbit hole, I have learnt from bitter experience just to cut it out and pop it somewhere else. I used hmm. to, in the early days, cut it out and delete it.
0: Oh that my God.
2: Was not Yes, well, I know, I did. I used to. Oh, I just used to ex- to to have convinced myself this is not working, so get rid of it. Well, I have learnt my lesson because mm. obviously you know what's going to. I'm going to say a few, a few months later, you might think, oh, that scene I wrote. Well, you know, it would come in nicely here, and then you have to entirely yes. recreate it. So mm. I'm much better at not throwing things away these days. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I don't
0: and like storing I don't them. I really. Free. But I often
2: go down a rabbit hole. I mean, certainly I have been down rabbit holes, and yeah. I've had them pointed out to me with people saying what's this doing here? You know, it doesn't advance the story. Mm. Um, and I will accept that. I you know, like to think I'm quite good at taking criticism on the chin. But when I said I'm uh, not good at plotting, which I'm not, that really presents me with problems when I'm asked for a synopsis. And I am uh, rubbish. I course. am rubbish at writing a synopsis. Because I feel all the time, I feel, A, it's such a, I don't know, it's such an uncreative thing. You know, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And part of me is thinking, I don't want people to know this yet, um, mm-hmm. which is crazy. But I do I do like to feel that I can surprise people. And if you're actually telling everybody your entire plot, plus the absolute end of the book, I kind of feel it takes away from me some of the joy of discovering what they're getting up to, if that Yay. makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so, that's, yeah, that's so true. And so you must be writing the
2: third book, is that right? I am. It, the third book is not Hester and Harriet. I have, oh. in fact, started – no, I've started Hester and Harriet book three, but obviously yeah. I'm waiting on the reaction to book two. But I've started an entirely other book uh, okay. about a, you know, a totally different protagonist – and I'm well into that, and I'm I'm hearing encouraging noises from my agents. So I'm 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 you know, really hammering away at that at the moment.
0: Wow! And so when uh, when you are, are you sometimes writing the next book while editing the previous book?
2: Uh, yes, actually, yes, I am. Yeah. And do you true. find that it that's? Like that, but yeah.
0: Do you, it obviously must come easy to you because you didn't even think about it. So um, it's not something – do you have to consciously switch hats or or get yourself back into the Hester and Harriet world or – you know what I mean?
2: I do. I know I do know what you mean. Um, no, I, at the moment what's been – I'm just trying to think that when I was editing um, Love Lies and Linguini, I, yes, I was working on the one I'm working on at the moment but mm. – I don't know I didn't find I didn't find that too much of a challenge I think partly because sometimes um when I'm writing I can be writing both a book and a play at the same time mm-hmm. and I find that somebody said to me isn't that very confusing but actually I find it quite um um an enlivening thing to do because it's they're two totally different genres obviously but because uh, I write quite dialogue heavy books anyway I think And that's, I'm sure, a product of writing plays. Mm. I find an awful lot of crossover there when I'm writing a play and I'm writing a book. So I'm able to do that. And I suppose in a sense, writing, editing one book and writing another is probably closer, to be honest, than writing a book and a play at the same time, if you see what I mean.
0: Yeah, yeah. And now, what would your advice be finally for aspiring writers who hope to be in a position like you are, where, you know, they've finally got their first and now second, and you're writing your third novel?
2: Uh, are, these, are these your top three tips? Yes, go on. <laughs> tell I, me your tell Yeah, your top okay. Three tips. Well, I think the first one everybody in the world will have said to every writer, which is write every day. And I do mean that write every day and yeah. write anything. I know, I know everybody says that, but it's absolutely true. The more you write, the easier it becomes. And I think, I hope, the better you get. And I don't mind sometimes if I come away and think, actually, all I've written today is a paragraph. And perhaps tomorrow I'll change it and it will be totally different. Or I might even put it into one of my, not, not into the bin, literally, but into my, <laughs> you know, my other file. Yes. But I've done something and I've used words and that's great. And the other thing, and I don't do this and I should, is... I find, and I'm sure a lot of other writers do, that some of my best ideas come when I am either just about to fall asleep or maybe I wake in the night and I've just got an idea and it's floating around. Now, it is at those moments that I write my deathless prose, but I don't write it down. And the next morning when I wake up, I think, what was that sentence? What was I going to get them to do? So what I could do with would be a little pen with a light on it so I could write in the dark and not forget them. So I would say to everybody, don't do as I do. Write it down when you think of it. Mm -hmm. It's like being out Mm -hmm. shopping, and you see something, and you get your notebook out, and you just scribble a few words to remind yourself. You have to do it when it happens. (laughs) I find that more and more as I get older. Do it while you remember it. So that would be my first tip. Mm -hmm. My second one would be, To read as much as you can, as much time as you've got. Read and read and read and read across genres. Read stuff that maybe you'd never write because something's always got a a kernel of lovely writing, a a plot device, a structure that I'm not saying copy, but just feeds into your own work. Mm. I mean, I'm quite lucky because I I read, I record books for um, a charity called Caliber over here, which is for blind and print impaired people so I get to read a huge range of different books and they are books I wouldn't pick up in a bookshop necessarily but I've I've learned that everything can teach you something even if you think at the end didn't enjoy that book that much it's not my cup of tea you Mm. still get something out of it because you're watching you're you're in a sense dissecting particularly if you're reading for recording you're dissecting the detail and structure of a book, and I find that fascinating, Mm. really, really helpful. And my last one would be listen to everybody, listen to your critical friends, listen (laughs) to anybody who reads your drafts, and listen to your editors. Um, I, I feel readers know what they like to read, editors know what sells, and... What the, what the market is, is interested in at the moment. And I'm absolute believer in that uh, kill your darlings, Maxim. Mm. You know, my feeling is if it, if it stands out, then it sticks out. And if it does that, then you're trying too hard. And I know it's, it's difficult sometimes. You write something and you think, oh, I'm really pleased with that. But if you keep coming back to it and it snags the eye, from my perspective, there's something wrong with it. Mm. So you mm. can bin that one. You can put that one in the bin. <laughs> For sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Kill your darlings and put them in the bin. Uh, and the other Indeed. thing, you can, yeah, put them in the might be used one day file.
2: Oh, sometimes I think they should go in the never be used and definitely permanently delete file. <laughs>
0: bring myself to do that I really can't because <laughs> it's you know it's the storage is free
2: it's okay <laughs> no that's, that's true that is true yeah but the chances are I find um I, I've got a terribly uh uh flippity gibbet s- filing system in my head generally it's when mm. I want to find those things then I think well how did I file that where did I put that <laughs> yeah I should be more organized
0: <laughs> all right look congratulations on the second book um it's thank fantastic you. so love lies in linguini, and thank you so much for talking to us today hillary
2: we really appreciate it's been a it a great pleasure thank you
1: there you go that was hillary spears she was great fun to chat to. Uh, it's a terrific interview and i think it's excellent that it's you know going to a series like yay yeah
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I have no doubt we're going to have more adventures of Hester and Harriet in the years to come. But let's move on now to, I believe you have an interesting post for us, Al.
1: Uh, Well, I do have an interesting post. I came across this one on the Ginger and Co blog, which is a a really uh, great little website from the United States about organisation, organisation. well, it's a sort of organisation for creative types. So you know, often that there's that idea that creative types are not particularly organised. Um, so she has a lot of you know uh, writing posts, marketing for for um for authors, you know, organisation tips for writers, that kind of stuff. And it's so it's a, it's a it's a great um website to have a look at. It's called gingerandcoblog.com. Now, she's written a post called Why a Writing Blog and an Author Website Are Different. And it caught my attention because, you know, as you know, this is something that over many, many years of blogging and authoring and all the things that I do, eight years I've had a blog for, yes. um, which has morphed. You know, it's it's it organically changes all the time depending on, you know, what's going on and how it works. Um, and uh, I, I found it quite an interesting post because she talks about the fact that she feels, and she actually has, uh, Laura, her name is, mm. actually has a writing blog, which is the Ginger & Co. blog. And she Meaning also, a blog about writing? A blog about writing mm-hmm. and organisation. Mm-hmm. And then she has an author website, which is um, laurategan.com, laurategan.com, Mysteries and Adventures with a Dash of Sass. Mm. Sash, not sash, mm-hmm. sas, s a s s. So, I just thought this was quite an interesting, uh, an interesting idea. And she goes through why she thinks that these two things need to be separate. And one of the things she says is mm. that the audience is totally separate. You know, there's a misconception that writers and readers are the same, which isn't necessarily yeah. true. Uh, well, mm-hmm. she's right to a degree. There is a lot of over, overlap, but not all readers are writers, which is true. Yes. Um, she talks about the fact that she thinks that these are two completely separate topics, um, writing and reading, which mm-hmm. I'm, you know, not as enamoured of. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, now this I do agree with. Your author website should be focused on your books, um, which yes. is fine if you have books. Um, but if you're building an author website and you don't have books, then you're not really focused on them per se. Yes. Um, then she's, oh, this I thought was quite an interesting one. She says that unless you have a specific content plan for your author website slash blog, it should probably be static. And I do agree that if you start a an author blog, you need to keep it up. I don't yes. think that you can have it sort of your last post from 2013. Yeah. Um, so I think you've got to, if you're going to start a blog of any type, you have to commit to it. I think that yep. that's important. And then she says that for her, her author blog is much more personal than say a writing blog might be. So I just wanted to ask you what your thoughts on this were. And then I will share my thoughts on this. And hopefully we can help to clarify some, um, clarify some things for our, Listeners,
0: Sure. Well, I think that an author website and an author or, or, or whatever blog, whatever your blog is about, um, mm. are separate in the sense that uh, they are, you know, kind of like separate destinations. However, they kind of live under the same roof. Your author website definitely needs to be a showcase for your work as an author and your blog will be writing about whatever it is that you're writing about, whether that's about writing or other things. Mm. However, I think it is far more efficient and it makes far more sense for them to be connected so Mm. that if your author website is at, you know, valerieku.com, your blog is at Valeriku.com slash blog or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I believe that if you're diluting people's into two different places, not only is it confusing for people, it's like double the amount of work. Yeah, it is. So I, I do believe that it should be all under one brand or one umbrella. But mm-hmm. certainly The the, the section that sells you as an author or that showcases your work as an author does need to do exactly that and your blog does serve a different function. I I know some people try and separate and I don't quite understand why. It seems to be what she's doing as well. Yeah. Um, But I don't find that to be the most efficient way to do it.
1: No. And I will say um, and I do understand the process of of that separation because um, as – as you know, as you know, like so, eight years. Um, I've had a lot of changes with the way that I've gone about things. So I started with a blog, yes. and then I decided, and then I sort of was writing fiction, and my fiction was being picked up by publishers. So I decided that I needed to create an author website, which I did, which was separate to my blog. I left my blog where it was because my blog had quite a readership yes. that wasn't necessarily going to follow me over to a website. So I had the two things separately, um, organized, but connected, yep. um, for a while, uh, probably, uh, six to six to nine months I did that for. And then I realized that it was not taking people where I wanted them to go, because what I did want them to understand is that I was an author. I had books coming out. They weren't mm-hmm. necessarily going to go from my blog, which at the time was called life in a pink fibro yep. to that author website. So I then brought them in under the same umbrella. I still kept the blog the same. I was still writing about the same things. I was doing all the same things, but I brought them in under the com umbrella. Yes. And then I started to think, over quite some time, I realized that what was happening was I was writing an awful lot about writing. And the reason mm. I was doing that was because that was what my blog readership was interested in. Um, so, I wrote a lot about, you know, initially in the in the early days, I wrote a lot about parenting and I had a lot of kind of uh, personal stories and things like that. But then over time, the writing really started to take over. And I realized that that probably wasn't, um, wasn't serving my purposes particularly well. It was serving my community very, very well, mm. but perhaps not my purposes that well. So, I started to change things up a little bit more as as that went on as well. Um, and then, of course, the Mapmaker Chronicles came out. And so, suddenly, I was writing about my books a lot more and things yes. that I was doing as an author a lot more. So, it's a, it's a natural progression. I think people get very hung up on I've got to do this right from the start and it's got to be like that forevermore. Um, yeah. I think it's really important to realize that a blog is a very organic thing and it's always going to follow you wherever you're going. And what happens, I think, and this was also something that I think I got a bit hung up on in those first early years, I got worried about losing my audience um, without really thinking about the fact that what I was doing was changing so if yes. I was gonna stay catering to that particular audience then it, it was never going to work because it's like you know trying to hang out with the same group of friends that you've been hanging out with since you were five mm. but you, you're, you your whole life is totally different now like you've you've done something different so you, you've kind of got to look at you know you you want the people that are really interested and invested and 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 that you that you know you can help as well because a lot of my stuff is a is a very kind of useful, helping other people kind of posting, you mm-hmm. want them to go with you. But if people aren't interested anymore, then you need to let that go. Like you yes, need to so. stop worrying about that so much because it's got to be about what, you know, like it's got to be about what you and your core community are sort of doing. And I think I think that's the thing that that um, that new author bloggers need to bear in mind all the time is this is not set in stone. This can Mm -hmm. change. You will write about different things as you go. But I do think um, it's, I think it's important to realize that a writing blog and an author website are two different things, Mm. but there's no reason why those two things can't be, you know, contained together under one roof. You can make that work.
0: Absolutely. I, I, I agree 100%. And, of course, this and other fantastic author platform building tips are in Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform, which is just a wonderful step-by-step blueprint on exactly what you need to do to build your author platform. And the biggest advice I can give you on that point is start now. Do mm, not absolutely. wait until your book is out. If you're still writing your book, even if your book is just a, gleam in, a glimmer in your eyes. Uh, I start your building your author platform now because then by the time you uh, have it ready to go, um, by the time your book is out, you will already have a great community who will buy your book and support you. Mm. So find out more about Alison's course at uh, writerscenter.com.au slash platform. So that's writercenter.com.au slash platform. All right, we're almost at the end of this week's episode hour. What are you doing in the coming week?
1: Well, I'm I'm finishing my proofread for starters, so that's yes. going to take a little bit longer. Um, but I'm also I'm writing a whole series of guest posts ready to go for when the Mapmaker maker uh, oh, Chronicles yes. before comes out at on the 28th of March. So I'm I'm doing some uh, guest posting at various you know on various sites and things like that. So I'm putting together my content plan, Val. That's what that's I'm doing. That's
0: fantastic. You'll be busy. <laughs>
1: I will be busy, yeah. What about
0: mm. you? What are you doing? Macramay? Well, weaving? apart from macrame and eating and crocheting, I too am proofreading this week. So mm. I am proofreading the Australian Business Style Guide, which is Basically a style guide for people who need uh, who don't have an in-house style guide at work and they need um, to know oh. all the conventions, all of the rules that are particularly for common dilemmas or, or words at work that you kind of go, should I be using this or should I be using this? It gives you the rule. Really? Wow. So, yes, the Australian Business Style Guide, and that's going to be out soon as well. But we'll let you know when it's out in case you need it for your work. Hmm. But where do we find you online now?
1: You'll find me at alisontait.com, A L L I S O N T A I T, both my writing blog and my author <laughs> website. Hmm. Um, you will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A L T A I T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Valerie, where do we find you?
0: You'll find me online and feel free to connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. I'm on Instagram at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, and also at Valerie Koo on Twitter. And uh, I'm easy to find on Facebook. Just search for Valerie Koo. And, of course, you can find all of the things that we've referred to in the show notes at au. So thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again soon. Bye.